something called Terry Coyne's The Mysticism of Marriage. And what that means is that we attract the exact partner who is going to trigger our every wound. We choose partners that are similar enough to our parent that we are reliving our wounds, and yet they're different enough, we hope, that they will help us heal. When I work with couples, it's as if I broke a piece of pottery and I picked up the broken pieces and I stuck them back together. This is the couple. Your wounds and your wounds are the exact wounds to trigger each other. Nobody can heal them but you. The other partner can trigger you. So if you're in the work or you're working with somebody like me, we'll, I'll show that to you. And then we can learn from there how to bring yourself down. What happens when you get triggered is that you leave your wise adult part of your brain and you go into the adaptive child part of your brain, the part that learned to adapt as a child to the environment and all your trauma. And so now you're an adult, but every time you get triggered, your wise adult, it's like you pop up and your wise adult part of your brain is no longer attached to the adaptive child part of your brain. So your wise adult part of your brain is no longer in the conversation and only your adaptive child is running the show. This part of you only knows how to do what it used to do. It does not care about intimacy or relationality. So you're never going to repair the relationship unless you calm yourself down and reconnect the different parts of your brain. That's the neurobiology behind it. When our inner child is in survival mode, it assumes that defensive position. We're brought back to whatever memories are still causing us pain, and it's now all dragged. All that history is there. And whoever we're speaking in front of us, that's our opponent. And it has all that pain that's been dragged for years and years and years that hasn't fully been dealt with. So I'm not necessarily fighting whoever's in front of me. I'm fighting my dad. I'm fighting my mom. I'm fighting my sister, my brother, my grandma, my uncle, whoever it is that causes pain, whoever it is that this situation reminds me of, whoever has activated all these emotions and all this trauma from this past. And I turn into the same little girl that I was in the past in the ways that were helpful for me to overcome this, the ways that helped me adapt to the situation, the, the ways that helped me survive. But ironically, those ways don't help now because these are maladaptive habits, things that helped us before that don't help us in our current reality, that drive a wedge between us and our partners in our current reality that doesn't allow us to connect. We choose people that fit into the narrative and story that we have. And we try to change the ending we experience in our childhoods, but we're not changing the formula. What are some strategies to help regulate our nervous system so that we can build that connection again, so we can connect with our partners and get to a place where we can repair? You know, I don't know if lay people can do it without some instruction and helpful coaching, but the short version is that you just take a time out, you leave the situation, but you take a conscious time out. You tell your partner, I'm taking a time out. I feel dysregulated. In this moment, I don't trust what's going to come out of my mouth and I need to calm myself down. And that takes at least 20 minutes to do. And then you can come back, but we always suggest that you come back, but you don't come back to the conversation. You leave the conversation for another day. Instead, you come back and you're like, honey, I don't want to fight, do you? really. How about we just make dinner together and we'll talk about it tomorrow. At that point, you're both in a better place. 
And then you can have a healthier conversation. And I teach people the feedback wheel, how to repair, how to have those kind of conversations. I talk about relational generosity and all of the different relational reckoning, which is, um, are you getting enough in this relationship to make grieving what you're not getting worthwhile? Mm -hmm. That's really what it comes down to. And if it is, then like, stop the bullshit, stop looking at what's not working and concentrate on what is working. It's so easy to fall into that trap of grieving that 10% or that 20 or 30% that we're not getting that we completely forget the 70, 80 or 90% that is working. The wild part is that relationships are destroyed over this and it's easy to fall into this fallacy and then start resenting this 10, 20 or 30% that we forget about everything else. We forget to appreciate our partner and be grateful for the 70 or 80 or 90% and treasure that part of it and cherish that part of it. I fall into it too. We all do it. We have a negative bias. We have a negative bias from the cavemen who had fear all around them and needed to know, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Is this good? Is it not good? But we don't need that anymore. There's not a tiger or a bear coming through our, I mean, I live in Aspen, sometimes bears do, but you know what I mean. Well, with that cave mentality back in the day, families were integral because that's what helped keep you safe. Right. And at a lot of times, I think we forget that right now there's this message out there. People don't want families. Marriages aren't safe. If we go back to the caveman times, family was a foundational unit. That is how you stayed alive. Those were your trusted people. That was your tribe. Right. And you needed to trust them. Mm -hmm. You needed to absolutely trust them. But sometimes having these wounds makes it so hard to do that. So let's say that you have a partner who has an abandonment wound and who feels that they're not good enough, Mm -hmm. who's now paired with a partner who has a betrayal wound, who feels that they can't trust you. How would you work with that? Partner A is wounded. Tell me again. Partner A has the abandonment wound. Partner A was abandoned. So there is attachment. And what's the other one? The other one was betrayed. So it's avoidant attachment or disorganized attachment, anxious and avoidant. Partner A is worried. I'm not good enough. So you're going to leave me. And partner B is worried. You are going to betray me. I can't trust you. I'm not safe with you. I can't get close to you. I want to be close to you, but you're going to betray me. So I should probably keep some distance. Yeah. When you're both anxious, then the work is to acknowledge what you both have, that you're both anxious attachment, and then ask the other person, what would help you feel safe? What do you need from me so you would feel safe? Like I worked with a couple the other day, partner A, let's say, came from an alcoholic family. So he had no wants and needs of his own. He learned to not have wants and needs of his own. And he learned to stay out of the radar to not share any of his feelings and his fight, flight, fix, or freeze was to flight. When partner A would like wants to run, partner B is anxious and runs to them. So I had to teach them that when you're triggered, you're no longer just seeing what's in front of you. You're back in your adaptive child living the trauma from the past. So if your partner needs to run, you have to let them run for the moment with a timeout, with a conscious timeout so that you don't have to be nervous. 
They can say to you, I'm going to be back in a half an hour or I'll check back in in a half an hour. So you can calm down. And in that half an hour, do your own feedback wheel. I teach them how to do a feedback wheel. Do your own journaling around it so that you also calm down. Instead of making their leaving about you, the loving way is to be compassionately curious about their need to run and to allow them to fix that and heal that in the process on their own without adding your anxiety into it. That's the part that's hard, not adding your own fears and anxiety into that. So how would you work with that with the feedback wheel? I teach them how you repair. And the way you repair is one way is to use the feedback wheel. And the feedback wheel is is four different parts. You only allow two sentences for each one because nobody can really listen to your stuff for too long, right? (laughs) So the first part is just the camera view. This is what I saw. I put dinner on the table because you said you'd be home at six and you walked in at 6.50. The story I told myself This is now the part where you get to say everything you want to say, but now it's wrapped in a story. The story I told myself is that you're a selfish bitch and you only care about yourself and you don't care about the family and you're a narcissist. Anything you want to say, you get to say in that moment. Then the third part is that story made me feel really disrespected and lonely and hopeless. And then the fourth part is the ask. What I need from you in the future is to call me 45 minutes before you're supposed to be home so that if you're going to be late, I don't put dinner on the table. That will save us all. I love that. And what's the experience of couples using this? Oh, really good. Really, really helpful. I mean, problem is to remember to use it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think the easiest thing for them to remember to use is the I, making it all I. Mm-hmm. I feel I make myself feel the story I tell myself. I make myself say the I is taking it off the other person. Even boundary coaching is I feel X when you do Y, would you be willing to do Z? Mm -hmm. It puts it on you because the reality is the thing that's bothering you from the other person, that same action might not have bothered somebody else, but it bothers you. So it is a co-creation. What's fascinating about that is that it might not have bothered you in a previous relationship. Might not bother you tomorrow, but <laughs> bothers me today. You know, I have a lot of clients who will say, well, how can I tell him, you know, that doesn't work for me because he was doing that when I, when I met him. How can I, now that I'm married to him, all of a sudden say it doesn't work for me. It's because it doesn't work for you anymore. You're entitled to change your mind. Mm-hmm. We all are. What are some soft starts to communicating that to your partner? Something that they've been doing for a while that was pretty common in the relationship. And all of a sudden you're like, "Eh, I'm not into this anymore. What would be a gentle way? I always think you should say, hey, there's something I want to talk about. Is this a good time? Because 99.9% of the time when a man hears that, it's not a good time for him. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Women are really good at unbridled self-expression and men hear everything as a complaint. I can't say every woman has unbridled self-expression and every man doesn't like complaint, but it's pretty universal. That's mm-hmm. how we roll. Men go right into their adaptive child of, I can't do anything right. And you know, I can't make you happy and nothing is enough. And women are 
very much similar and men are very much similar to themselves. And so start by the ask, is this a good time? And then use the feedback wheel. Hey, babe, I just got to say that you not calling me every day or you coming in late or you leaving your clothes on the floor or whatever it is, I feel really bad about it or it makes me feel lonely or disrespected or not cherished, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, that's the go-to. I feel this when that happens. So would you be willing to just change it up a little? All you're doing is asking a request. So the bottom line is don't make a demand, make a request. A demand is one of the losing strategies and making a request is one of the winning strategies. How would you go about connection? Because you mentioned earlier, don't talk about this argument, this disconnection that you had until the next day. Instead, do something else that helps you connect with each other and then go into repair the next day. What would be a universal strategy that helps couples co-regulate and connect? I think lovemaking always brings you back together. Holding hands brings you back together. The other morning, my boyfriend just turned, or my fiance, I should say. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. He just snuggled me, which I can't even remember the last time in in like early morning he just did that. But the moment he did that, it regulated my system. Mm. Touch is a regulator. Mm -hmm. If you want to repair with your partner, you use the feedback wheel. There's state and then there's trait and then there's character. You want to stay in state. You want to say just the little thing that happened in that moment. If you move into trait, meaning you always do this, you did it yesterday, you did it six months ago, you've been doing it for years, that's taking you further away from repair. Mm -hmm. And then going to character, you're such a selfish guy, that's going to character. Every step away from just the one thing you want to talk about moves you away from repair. Because it alienates you. Now yeah, it's you it makes versus. It bigger and worse. And yeah. It's you now know. you versus your spouse. And all of a sudden that gets into coping mechanisms, defensive mechanisms, which do not help repair at all. So I talk about five winning, they're really Terry's, but five winning strategies and then five losing strategies. So if you want better communication, the first thing you always have to remember is that you love this person. When we get triggered, love goes out the window. Love goes out and hate comes in. Like it's just, they've switched places. So you always have to remember love and that you want to repair. So who's right and who's wrong is who gives a shit. That's really what it comes down to. You want to be right or you want to be in relationship with this person. If you want to be right, you're in your adaptive child and you're just going to try to be right, but you're going to lose the relationship. Most of the time clients come to me because the woman drags in the man. And the woman's got one foot out the door. She's about to leave her marriage. Mm. And this is her last chance. She drags him in. I could be the fifth person that they've come to. I use this miracle question. So if I hit this out of the box, out of the park today, what's that going to look like? What do you want to walk away from this first session? The guy will usually say, if he says anything, he'll say better communication. But generally they say something like, I don't know why we're here. Mm. I'm really happy. We don't even fight. This is the perfect wounded story again. Grandiose man, doctor, fighter, loves a good fight, loves to win, 
woman who's, you know, she could have been the fifth or the eighth kid in her family. She has no wants and needs of her own. Mm-hmm. She does not speak up for herself. She has learned over the many years of her marriage, she will never win a fight. So she never, ever tries anymore. So I have to explain to the guy, well, you know, you're a great fighter and you are winning every single fight, but you're losing the war. Mm-hmm. Your wife's leaving. You can stay up there in your grandiose position, winning every fight until you have no wife. Is that what you want? No, that's not what they want. There's a couple that comes to mind because how strict his mom was. Mm -hmm. It's harder for him to want to apply the strategies. We can stay in our childhoods and say, yes, this triggers me and it reminds me of my mom and this feels like rules. It's like, okay, then you have the choice to leave or to have this keep failing. But if you're telling me that you want this to work and you want to stay together, you need to move forward. You need to get over that and realize this is not your mom. This is your marriage. And she's asking you for very reasonable things because she wants to feel appreciated and she wants to feel valued. And oh, and he doesn't want to give her anything because he's so sick of giving to a yeah. woman. He doesn't want to feel controlled. That's the biggest thing. Like, I don't want to feel controlled. Right. I have experienced that. I'm a very free spirit. I'm married now. I don't know if I told you that. Congratulations. Thank you. I had to think about that a lot because I was like, okay, I have to shift the way. And my husband actually said to me, he's like, you have to shift the way you're thinking about marriage. If you're thinking you're, you're going to be stuck with me forever if you enter this legally binding agreement. Yeah, you're going to feel trapped and you're going to hate it. If you think about it, like I am choosing to be with you and that you love me and you're choosing to stay here and this is something that's good for you, then even on the hard days, you're going to think it's worth it. And so he worked with me a lot for a year before we got married. No, he's not, but he could be. He's so intelligent, so emotionally intelligent and so, so brilliant. Got to remember love and you need to say, you can say to your client, What's it like to realize you've married your mom? But in this case, he may not have married his mom. Well, with the injustice wound, where you grow up in a very, very strict environment, you don't want to feel controlled. That's the last thing that you want. You want to rebel. You want to be your own person. You don't want to give up your independence. For the abandonment wound, you want to know someone's there for you and they're not going to leave you. And so this independence is terrifying. And so these wounds have them in negative feedback loops, or just like if you have abandonment and betrayal, negative feedback loops again. And so it's about being super intentional with rewriting those stories so that you can have a healthy relationship with your partner. Let's say that you are in that situation where you're perfectly feeding each other's wounds and you trigger each other. What is one tool that you would give to couples who are triggering each other? We do this thing called C&I which is your core negative image. It's the characteristics that you think about your partner in your worst moments and their worst moments. So let's say you have a client who, number one, she grew up in a family where her parents gaslit her her whole life. So she's hypersensitive to being gaslit. And she thinks that her partner is gaslighting her all the time. When I hear the stories, a lot of times I'll be like, yeah, I don't, I don't think she's gaslighting you there, but I'll explain to the partner, it actually doesn't matter if you're really gaslighting her or not. If her interpretation is that she's being gaslit, we need a safe word so that she can say it. And whenever she says it, you are now in a dead stop contract. Mm -hmm. The client can say a word, you make the word up in advance. Let's just use pineapple. And in that moment, you have to stop a dead stop contract 
the person who called Pineapple. Also, you have a contract. Is there something you want your partner to do when you call Pineapple? Do you want them to say, what do you need from me right now? Mm. Or do you want them to say um, nothing and just let's take a time out? What do you need in that moment? So I go through with them and I, I get them each to say what their three worst characteristics are of each other. And then I also get them to say what they think their partner's three worst characteristics of them will be. And then we talk about it. And then they each get to pick one of those to be their timeouts. And that timeout stops it on a dime. So it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. The doctor that I was talking about that's really arrogant and Mm -hmm. has to win, if he's starting to go down that line and she calls pineapple, it's over. There's not going to be a winner or a loser right here. That conversation is done for today. And then they immediately focus on reconnecting. Yeah. From from one of those losing strategies to one of the winning strategies. What's another winning strategy? First one is to speak with love and respect. Cherish what you have. The feedback wheel, that is the feedback wheel. The one before that is actually uh, moving from complaint to request. Third one is to listen with compassion. So it's like if your partner comes to you with a negative feedback wheel, they're the speaker and you are the listener. The roles don't mix. You're only the listener. You're never the speaker if your partner comes to you with something. You listen to them with compassionate curiosity. Try to put yourself in their position, not listening, saying in the back of your mind, that's such bull, or that's not what happened, or that's not what I saw, or you don't know my side of it. Get rid of all of that and just put yourself in their shoes and see what their subjective reality is, Hmm. how they saw it. And then you respond with generosity, not who's right and who's wrong, but if they've made a request and it's within your ability to give them what they're asking for, you just give it to them. You don't say I've given in the last four times. You just give it to them because the bottom line is this is the person you're living with. And if they're not happy, buddy, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> That's so accurate. Right? <laughs> It's so funny because all this stuff that you're narrating in your head of like, oh, that's such bull. That's not how that happened. Or you don't know my side of the story. It's so easy to fall into that, but it's garbage because it doesn't help you connect. I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I get so mad. I feel like I forget everything that I have learned. All your tools. Yeah. They just go out the window and then I'm like, okay, I need to regroup. I need to, let's try this again, please. Yeah. And another one is to empower your partner. Tell them what you need. We're not mind readers. And then tell them how they can do that for you. This is exactly what I'd like. And this is how you could do it. And then they've got a blueprint. It's like, basically, this is my working directory. These are the things that make me feel loved and cherished. And this is what I need from you. What do you need from me so you can do that for me? Here at Macy's, customer service desk and somebody walks up, they hand you their toaster oven and they say, my toaster oven is broken. The person behind the desk isn't going to say, well, my oven's broken. So (laughs) you're pretty good. It's just your toaster oven that's broken, (laughs) right? Don't do that. Be in the customer service department. And when your partner comes to you with repair, just listen and give them whatever you can. 
And remember, relationally generous. I use this with my partner all the time. I say, this is what I need. And this would be you being relationally generous. My partner and I were on our way to a wedding and we were sitting downstairs waiting for another couple to come out of the hotel to go. And I said, you know, we're all prettied up here. Let's make a real, real quick. Will you make one with me? He's like, sure. I said, okay, we're going to do it on relational generosity. And I put it on the camera. You have to listen to it. It's the funniest thing. (laughs) He's basically saying, yeah. And it's generally me being relationally generous. Like, like it's a whole conversation where he's like, yeah, men. And I just want to say that I I think I'm doing all the gener- being relationally generous all the time. I'm excited to go watch that. They have to find it. <laughs> Anyone listening can go and look at it. It's pretty funny, actually. You've given us amazing tools today and amazing strategies. If couples could just take away one, what is one that you're like, okay, you must try this one to see changes in your relationship? I think the easiest thing to do is to know what the losing strategies are, which are unbridled self-expression, which is basically you're throwing in everything but the kitchen sink, right? Uh, The need to be right, which a lot of us have. The need to control, which a lot of us have. Retaliation and withdrawal. Those are all losing strategies. If you do any of those, then you have to look at the pattern. When I do this, my partner does this. And then when my partner does that, I do more of this or I switch down to this one. Look and see what your pattern is with your partner and try to switch those negative losing strategies into positive winning strategies. That's the best advice I can give. And remember love. Always remember love. This is not your enemy. This is the partner you want to be with or your parent, or your child, or your sister, or your business partner. It works with everybody. It's so interesting how in the heat of the moment, it can be so hard to forget all those relationships. So hard. It's like, this is my enemy. It's me versus you right now. Yeah, but that's why the timeouts are brilliant. And the CNIs are brilliant. If my partner's CNI is that I need to be right, and he calls pineapple while I'm blah, blah, blind, I have to stop in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so he's helping me catch myself. Mm-hmm. There we go, needing to be right. And it's a dead stop. You're done. I really like that. Okay, so last question for you today. I have a dream with this podcast. I want it to be a resource for people. I want to be able to empower individuals with tools and strategies to improve the quality of their daily experiences, whether that's in their marriage, in their careers, with their families, academically, social, whatever it is. That is my goal. And to create a community where we can support each other to do that and celebrate each other for doing that. So my last question for you today is, what is a reality that you're working towards? Oh, to be like an even better marriage and relationship coach. That's the goal I've been working on for the last year and a half. It feeds me. It's my juice. I basically try to go through my life saying yes. If there's anything I'm afraid to do, I really know that I will be that person on the other side. So just step in. Which brings me back to my book, Bigger, Better, Braver. That was just step in. Tell me more about the book. When did you write that one? Oh, we, we must have worked on it the last one. So my book is Bigger, Better, Braver, Conquer Your Fears, Embrace Your Courage, and Transform Your Life. And it's a self-help step-by-step. It's what I do with my clients. So if you don't want to pay for a coach or you don't, you know, you're just not coach-oriented, any of those things, start with the book. And if there's a goal out there that you want to do and you have fears that are keeping you playing small, 
This book will help you uncover the shadow beliefs, the underlying commitments that are in your unconscious that are keeping you playing small and step-by-step how to, how to make it happen. That sounds brilliant. So I'm going to put that information in the show notes as well. Check out Nancy's book, check out her Instagram as well. I'm going to put all that information on there. And Nancy, I just want to celebrate you for being so brave and for following what you're passionate about, for just going all in. You know what? I'm older. When you get to my age, you don't need to doubt yourself anymore. You go for it. If not now, when, right? (laughs) 